My name is Zach Thompson. I'm on staff here at Calvary, and I want to direct your attention to uh, the seat right in front of you. We don't have a great name for it. We call it the seat back, and uh, I don't like it because it feels like we're talking about an airplane. So look in the seat back in front of you. Uh, There's no tray table, although sometimes when cleaning up coffee spills, I do wish we had a tray table there for us. Uh, But in the seat back in front of you, you'll see two cards. One of them is the Connect card. This is there every single week. This is a way for us to get to know you. Uh, Without hearing a little bit of who you are, uh, how we can get in contact with you, well, we can't get in contact with you. And I'm sure I'm sure some of you see that as a big plus. Yes, they can never track me down, but we don't want you to go through life isolated. We don't want you to feel alone. We want to just come alongside of you and, and care for you. This isn't a way to get you signed up on some email that we're selling your, your email address to. This is a way for us to care for you, to see how we could pray for you, how we could come alongside of you in life. And so you can let us know a little bit about yourself in that Connect card. You can let us know how we could be praying for you on the backside of it, uh, ways to get plugged in here, uh, all of that through the card. And then you could drop it in the offering box uh, on the back between the two doors. The other card that's there is, is for our Easter egg hunt. And there is a lot going on. This is kind of the busy season for churches. Uh, if nothing else, because Easter is coming. We'll have Good Friday services in here on, uh, on Friday the 15th at 6.30. Uh, the next day we will have an Easter egg hunt, a way to get to uh, reach out to our community around us, to reach to your friends, your, your neighbors, your enemies, people that you met once, to tell them about the gospel. And uh, this Easter egg hunt is an easy way to do that. So that card in the seat bag is for you. If you need more than this to just plaster your neighborhood, uh, to tape them over people's ring doorbells, so that way every time they look, they see this reminder. Uh, These are free ideas, by the way. Uh, You can grab them. There's a table on the back to, to take them. Invite kids Uh, that you know, kids who may have heard the gospel before, who've never heard the gospel. This Easter egg hunt is designed for us to walk through who is Jesus, what has he done, what does his death and resurrection do for our lives. I'm excited for that day. And then Easter services the the following day on Sunday, April 17th. I think I got that date right. Uh, It's important to get that date right. Uh, 9 o'clock and 10.30 in this room. A lot coming up. We'll, We'll share some more later on in the service as well. But it's an exciting time. And it is one where we get to continue as well in our series in James. This has been uh, such a great series for me. Uh, Coming off of uh, Hebrews that we did last fall, it's so dense as to who is God, what has he done, and to get to James, which is much more practical, taking that knowledge in light of that knowledge, how then do we live? And that's what James has been doing all throughout chapter one, which yes, we are finally able to wrap up chapter one in our time together today. Uh, James, throughout this chapter, has been showing us how do we live? He's been writing to Christians. He's been writing to people who know the gospel, who are following Jesus. How then do they live with their lives? And James has this really special word to describe people who are in this place, who are following after Jesus. He, he calls them uh, in verse 18 as this special phrase of first fruits. Now, I get it. 
I keep taking us back to verse 18. You're probably getting sick of hearing about verse 18, but I keep taking this back here because I think this verse is so important to see what James is doing with the rest of chapter 1. He is writing to these people who are Christians, and he gives them the special words. They are first fruits. They are brought into God's family. While God loves all people, while God blesses all people, while God cares about all people, whether they know him or not, those who trust in him, who follow him, who believe in him, have this special place, this special relationship. They are brought into his family. They are called first fruits here. Well, how does someone become a first fruit? How does someone get this status? Look at verse 18. It says that they are brought forth by the word of truth. So they are saved by the word. In hearing about who God is, in hearing what God has done, with getting to see this in their lives as they turn more to, to this God, they are saved by this word of his. They are saved by this truth that God has brought forth. They are put into the special spot as they see more and more of who this God is and what he has done. We are saved by the word. But that's not all that we heard about the Word in chapter 1. So we are saved by it, but we are also shaped by the Word. Uh, this was in verse uh, 21. So uh, it says to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and instead to receive with meekness the implanted Word. So we are saved by the word, and then what we do is we get rid of all filthiness and rampant wickedness. We strip off anything that runs contrary to God's ways, to, to what he would have for us, the good way that he sets before us that's for our good and that's better for us. We take all of that off, and instead we receive with meekness. We obey, we follow, we uh, observe what it is that God says to do. So we are shaped by it. It is changing our lives. It is making us look more and more like Him. And then we got the last week, the final part of this, where we are called to be doers of the Word. So we are saved by the Word, we are shaped by the Word, and we do the Word. We actually do the things that God's Word says for us to do. Now, we gave a couple caveats to this. On the one hand, we need to recognize that those who are saved are the ones who do the word. We don't do the word in order to be saved. That's really important to get. We don't do the things God commands us so that we earn his love. No, we already have that. We don't do it so he looks at us kindly. No, he has certainly already done that. We don't do this to get his affection. God has poured his affection out on us. It is because he has done all those things in this progression. It's really important that we see that progression. We are saved we are shaped, and those of us who, uh, who are in those spots do the word. But the flip side of it is the other warning. If we are hearing of God's word, if we are saying that we believe it, if we say that we follow it, but we don't actually do the things that it says, well, the word is deceived here. We might be deceived. We might not be the people that we think we are. Because for someone to claim to be something, you actually have to live as that something. If you're claiming to be a Christian, but you're not living as a Christian is called to live, you might not be who you think you are. It's as silly as saying that you're a chef, but you never cook anything, as claiming to be a snowboarder, but you've never actually seen snow before, of claiming to be a runner, but you have my physique and inactivity. 
If you claim to be something, you actually have to do that something. To claim to be a Christian means you have to live as a Christian. And we spend all this time, and this is a lot of time recapping chapter one, because today James is going to build off of this idea. So we talked last week about those who uh, hear the word, they, they listen to it, they uh, are in tons of Bible studies, they, they have uh, lots of sermons that they've heard, they go to Sunday school, uh, they go to Sunday services every week, they're in seven Bible studies, they have the, the multiple translations of the Bible, but they're not actually doing the word, they might be deceived. So we talked about those people, but James has a different group in mind uh, for our passage today. What about those who look the part? What about those who look like they're doing everything right? Like you look from the outside, they look like they're living the Christian life. They, they look religious. They have that outward appearance of following God, and yet they're stopping short of fully being a doer. They care more about looking the part than actually doing the life that God calls them to. What about the outward appearance being the primary thing? James is speaking against these people because they too might be deceived. Look at verse 26. It says, um, it's on the next page. Uh, so uh, this person is also deceived. They're deceived in their heart. If someone cares more about the external function, how they look as a Christian, rather than actually living the Christian life, if they look like they're a doer, but they're stopping short of it, they too might not be who they think they are. So James is walking through three different ways that might trip us up, three different things that, that we might stop short of doing, three ways that we might not uh, give care and consideration for in our life that would stop us from being a doer, that would stop us from being shaped, that would stop us from hearing the word. And these three that James gives us is our words, our help, and our holiness. Our words, our help, and our holiness. Now I get it. I've had two opportunities to show a lot of love and care for the people here who love alliteration. I had uh, saved by the word, shaped by the word, and then do the word. And now I have uh, words, then help and holiness. I, I recognize I did not treat people who like alliteration very well, and I couldn't be happier about it. So our words, our help, and our holiness. James is talking about these three things. So those who look the part of being a Christian, but they're stopping short of actually being a doer, they might be deceived if they are not being careful with their words. Look at verse 26. It says, if anyone thinks he is religious but does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So James is talking here, if anyone looks the part of being a Christian, they are doing, they're saying all the right things, uh, and if they aren't, do not bridle their tongue, if they do not, another way to put this would be control their tongue, control what they say, uh, take care of the words that they use, if they don't do any of that, well, they might be deceived. They might not be the person they think they are. They might not actually be following God, even if they are looking like the part. Now, words have been a, a really important topic for James. How we speak, control the tongue, it, it keeps popping up. We'll see it again in chapter 3. We'll see it again in chapter 4. And we've already seen it before. Verse 19, be slow to speak. 
what we say, how we say things is, is vitally important. And it's, it's important that we recognize that James says to be slow to speak. He doesn't say to take a vow of silence. He doesn't say to never speak. Now, I'm sure this is disappointing to some of you who wish every Sunday I would take a vow of silence, but that's not what James tells us that we need to do. He says to be slow, not to avoid. He says to bridle, not to put a gag on. He says to control, not to silence. And the reason for this is we can do a lot of good with our words. We can have a lot of benefit with our tongue. We can build people up. We can offer encouragement. We can be kind to other people. We can praise God like we got to do earlier today. We can remind each other of truth. There is so much good that we can do with our words. And James doesn't ignore this. If you look throughout chapter one, you see place after place where tongues can do exactly what James tells us to do. I really like this quote from one of the commentators that I read, uh, Kurt Richardson. He says, control of the tongue also stands for persevering under trial. This was chapter one, verses two through four, right? How do we persevere in a trial where what we say has a big part of that? If it's constantly doom and gloom that we're saying, we we might not be persevering under trial. Uh, Praying to God for wisdom. This was verse five. And using the tongue, indeed the entire body for the obedience of faith. This is doing the word, which we can do with our words. So even James is recognizing all throughout chapter 1 that our words can be very good. But the flip side of that is true, that we can do a lot of harm with our words. We can do a lot that's damaging to others with what we say. And I I don't think I need to work really hard to make this point, do I? Like All we need to do is think back to our own experience. Think of all the hurt that we feel because of what someone has said to us. Think of how devastating things have turned out because of, of, what, uh, of the words that someone used. I think of uh, Hannah who said that I was too ugly to be her boyfriend in fifth grade. I mean, yes, it's true, but she didn't need to say it like that in front of all those people multiple times. So I don't think we, it's shocking to us to realize our words have impact. And and what we say, our tongue can cause real damage to people. I think it's a fairly obvious point. But what might not be so obvious is why James says that the religion, the outward appearance, someone who is looking like the part of being a Christian, why is that religion worthless? Why is it worthless? Another way to ask this question is, why would someone's religion, their works, what they're doing be in vain if they don't control the tongue? And again, I want to take us back to our experiences. Think of all that we have undone with the words that we have said. Relationships take years to build, and yet we can destroy them overnight with not being careful with what we say. You can praise and affirm your child time and time again, and yet the more vivid, the more easily recalled memory is something that was said out of frustration or anger. That I put a lot of time in rehearsing what I say up here because I'm terrified of what happens when I go off on my own, when I get nervous and I'm just speaking off the cuff and the damage that I could cause in that situation. 
We can have so much good that is undone if we are not careful with our words. And that's true for following after God as well. We can look the part. We can be here every Sunday. We can be in, in lots of groups. We could uh, be uh, reaching the, and, and to seek and save the lost. Uh, we, could, we could have Bible memorization. We, we could do all that, that looks like it's good. We're in community. And yet, if we're not careful with our words, if we aren't putting attention to what we say, we can undo all of that. We can make it to where people don't want to hear from us. We can make it to where uh, people don't want to share their struggles with us, and that destroys community if there's no longer that trust. We can make it to where people don't want to learn from us. We can make it to where people don't see our lives as shaped by the word. Why should I listen to your message when you sound just like my non-Christian friends? What's unique about what you have to say? Why should I even care when you're such a jerk, when you say these things? when you said these things that way. There is so much damage that we could do with our tongue that, that it completely undoes anything uh, that we're trying to do to follow after God, that it makes it, in a sense, worthless, that it undoes all of that work that we've been trying to do. We may look the part, we may act the part, we may look like the perfect Christian, and yet if we are not controlling what it is that we say, well, we can undo all of that. James is talking here about the importance of those who look the part, but they are not careful with their words. James continues on in verse 27 to talk about uh, those, um, uh, those who look the part, those who are uh, looking like they're being a doer of the word, and yet they are not doing so with their help. Look at verse 27. It says, religion that is pure and undefiled. So this is in contrast to everything that we said. So you look the part, but you're not controlling your tongue. No, 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 that's not it. This is what it is. This is what truly following God looks like. Uh, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the, and this is a page turn, so turn with me, before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. So uh, true religion, truly following off after God is this. Now, uh, careful to get this. James is not saying this is exclusively what religion is. We got to remember that order. Verse 18, verse 21 uh, that we keep going back to. We are saved by the word. We are shaped by the word and we do the word. So that is what following God looks like. But inside of that, it must include visiting orphans and widows in their affliction. So this isn't only that is true religion, but true religion must contain this. It must contain care for those that the Bible refers to as the least of these. It is uh, coming alongside those who are overlooked and uncared for in society. So why widows and orphans, though? Why are they specifically mentioned as people that Christians should care about? it's really important that we understand what society was like at this time. There were very, very few opportunities to make money, to earn a living, to meet your needs if you were not a man. Now, there's exceptions to that, but 
overwhelmingly in this culture, that is who the money earner was in the family. And often this was a, uh, through a trade. So uh, the, the father of the house, the, the husband, would have some sort of trade that he has been learning uh, throughout his entire life. And he would pass that on to his sons. He would train them in it from a very young age. Well, what happens if the father dies? Well, you're no longer able to learn that trade anymore. You don't have the skill necessary to provide for yourself. So you have needs that you won't be able to meet because your training has now stopped. And for widows, they they wouldn't have had the skill to take over the business that the husband would have had. And so these are people who would be unable to meet their day-in, day-out needs. This is on top of the fact that there was little within society to provide care for orphans and widows. So it's being really low on the social totem pole with very few means to meet their needs. And so James is saying to care for those who are most overlooked and uncared for in society. And yet this is something that's been a call to God's people since the beginning. That James is hardly the first person to to come up with caring for those who are overlooked. That throughout God's word, there's this call to care for the widows and the orphans. I want to take us to just one other passage that has a lot of similarities with what James is saying. Uh, And this would be Isaiah chapter 1. So we we don't have Isaiah in our James scripture journals, but I do have it up here if you want to follow with me on that. So James chapter 1, starting in verse 11. So this is God speaking. Uh, and, and just get the forcefulness of these words. What is it to me, the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of uh, lambs or of goats. Bring me no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. So this is what God is saying. So these people were doing all that the Old Testament law said they needed to do. They were sacrificing animals to cover their sins. They they were uh, celebrating the festivals and the Sabbath. They, They were doing all that they were told to do. And God is saying, I don't care. It is worthless to me. It is as nothing. I would rather you didn't do this. Uh, The the equivalence would be like, I can't stand uh, the singing of songs on a Sunday morning. I can't stand the events that are being done in my name. That would be the equivalence for the church. Well, why would God have these forceful words? Is it that these are bad things? No, not at all. It is what is being missed while all this is happening. They are doing everything right on the outside, but what is being missed? Let's pick it up in verse 16. God continues by saying, wash yourself, make yourself clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression. And this is where we get to what's pressing to James chapter one, bring justice to the fatherless. Another word for that could be orphan. Plead the widow's cause. So here we have people who are doing everything right on the outside. They're looking like someone who's following after God as God has called them to, and yet they're overlooking this. They're doing evil. 
They're not caring for those who are overlooked in society, the orphan and the widow, and that makes it worthless. That's not true religion. And so James calls for us to remedy this. He says, uh, to a couple slides back, uh, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, to, with our help to do what God is calling us to do, not just look the part, but to actually do what God calls us to do. In this word, visit, how are we to care for those who are overlooked and uncared for in society? Uh, visit here doesn't just mean showing up, saying hello, and then going back to our uninconvenienced lives. Visit is continual. It is a continual check-in on. It is a continual of meeting needs. It is a continual reminder that these people are cared for and loved and known. That we are to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, those who are overlooked, who are uncared for in society. Now, we might not know orphans and widows. They, they might not be people that we come across in our lives. And so there's a temptation to look at this. Uh, well, I don't know orphans. I don't know widows. So I can check this as complete or at the least put an NA next to it. It's not applicable to my life. That's not it. It is seeking these people out. It is finding those who are overlooked and uncared for in society and undoing that of helping them know that they're loved and cared for, of helping meet the most basic of needs. Now, we are in a different society than the one James was writing to, than Isaiah was writing to. Uh, I'm so grateful that uh, the loss of a husband or a father is still absolutely devastating. I'm not diminishing that. But I'm grateful that that's not the end of the life for the orphan and the widow, that they have lost their standing in society, that they are unable to provide for themselves. I'm grateful that, that our world is a little bit different. So how might we broaden this? If it's speaking to those who are most overlooked and uncared for in society, who is that in ours? Now, this is not to neglect orphans and widows. We ought to still be seeing how can we care for them. It is inviting them into our social circles so they're not feeling excluded. Uh, Adoption, helping bring uh, orphans from uh, their their place to a loving home where they're cared for. It it is seeking to come alongside people and their hurts and their needs and providing real and lasting and continual help for them. We're not overlooking this call literally to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. But I'm just trying to see, can we make it more broad than this? Who is overlooked and uncared for in our society? I thought of single parents, so single moms, single dads. Uh, There's an unwarranted stigma at times towards these individuals, especially within the church. And yet these are people that need so much care and love from all of us help with child raising, help with finances, with community that is often exclusive. How can we come alongside of them and and help them not feel excluded? Thought about uh, kids in the foster system. They might not be orphaned. They're still as a family, and yet uh, they are removed from them. Temporarily, hopefully, but uh, they're, they're removed from their families. I thought of refugees, those with disabilities, special needs, kids and adults, the homeless, 
the elderly, especially those in nursing homes or retirement communities where uh, it's easy to overlook them because they are removed from the rest of society, placed in a building. You have to enter the front doors of that building to see them. And this was especially difficult in COVID where those front doors became locked. And I'm sure we can come up with a whole list of people who are unable to meet their needs, who are overlooked and uncared for in society. And here at Calvary, we, we take this verse very seriously. We, we try to see how can we help care for those who are overlooked and uncared for in our society. I think of one ministry uh, called Men of Action. So this is a group of men who come alongside, I want to get their wording right, uh, who come alongside uh, uh, to serve the material relationship and spiritual needs of widows, single women, moms, and the vulnerable in our church and community. So this could be going into someone's help, uh, house and helping with home repairs that, that uh, the, the, the woman uh, wasn't able to, to do, or financial help, or some advice, or just someone who knows you and is caring for you. It's a wonderful ministry. I'm grateful to have it here at Calvary. I, I think of the work that uh, the three teams across Calvary has been doing to help with the Afghan refugees, uh, that they're... It, I think there's 24 uh, Afghan individuals who are receiving care, who are receiving community uh, and guidance from members of our three churches in, in uh, Thornton, Boulder, and Erie. And it's been such a beautiful time for, uh, to get to help with how do you sign your child up for school? Something that we might overlook is just uh, why, why would you need help with that? But it's such a different culture. How do you find jobs how do you get a driver's license when you can't read the language on the test and they don't have one in your language? So a, a, lot, of, a lot of these practical steps that we might just assume because we've been birthed in this society, how can we help those who are being planted within it that might be overlooked otherwise? And by overlooked, came across a really awful statistic so ACC, the organization that we've been partnering with, they trained our teams up to help with the care. They, they helped get them, uh, the, the family situated. They, they've helped 200 Afghan families to get uh, settled within the state of Colorado, which is incredible. Grateful for that. 12 of them had teams around them. 12 of them had teams that was helping to get them used to the culture, to support and we were three of those 12. So a little sim simple math, and I'll keep you from having to do it. That means 188 Afghan families were settled without that support system around them, without being able to have that help done. I, I even think of one of our families, uh, not that long after they were out here, uh, um, one of the, the boys got on the wrong bus and ended up getting lost. And like instantly, I think it was something like 12 members of that team were either out caring for the family or out trying to find that boy. That's 188 families that doesn't have that same support. This is an overlooked people group in, in our society. And, and I'm so grateful that Calvary has done a, a small part in helping to care for those who are overlooked and uncared for. 
Uh, we've partnered with Compassion International in the back. There's been Sundays where you can walk out in the lobby and you see uh, pictures of kids who are well, well below the poverty line. And so it's coming alongside of them and offering monthly financial support to meet basic needs. We, we did a soft poll and something like 200 Calvary families are still supporting that same number of kids across our three campuses. It's incredible. Uh, I think of a weekend that we have coming up in May that we call uh, Micah 6-8, where we focus on justice and mercy coming from Micah 6-8. That's where we got the name for it. We're really good and creative at our naming. Uh, And so one of the ways that we want to seek to do justice and mercy is to uh, undo poverty, undo uh, uh, those who don't have food, even just basic means like that, to to offer mercy in that way. So we're going to partner, I I think it's May 15th, we're going to partner with Food for Hope and and have a, a food drive that ends on May 15th. Uh, Food for Hope's right down the street, and they help meet people's basic needs of food that most of us don't have to guess where the next meal is coming from, and and Food for Hope helps those who don't have that same luxury. In particular, one one part of their uh, their their organization that that I really appreciate is uh, they come alongside kids who are on free or reduced uh, uh, meals through their school, which I'm so grateful that our schools are able to do that. But there's a question, and there's a glaring gap with that. What about when there's not school, and food for help, uh, food for hope helps to relieve to undo that question. For groups that are overlooked, I I think of uh, singles and how the church has done a really, really poor job over the years of caring for singles. And this is where I'm grateful for Carrie Damey. If you don't know her, she's part of our campus here at Thornton. She's got uh, a team around her that, that are just offering a place for singles to find community together. And I'm really grateful that she has taken that upon herself to care for those she saw a need and she's helping to meet that. I, I'm, I'm really grateful for that. And I don't bring any of these things up. I don't, I don't say, hey, look at us. Look at how awesome we are. And that's not why I brought any of these ministries up to see how are we caring for those overlooked and uncared for in society. That, that's not at all. It's, we take this verse very seriously. We don't want to be deceived. We don't want to just look like a place that's, that's where the word is being heard. We look the part of Christians. We see that there are people who are overlooked and uncared for in society. And so with our help, we are seeking to do what it is that God has called us to do, which is with our words, with our help. And the last bit that James gets to is our holiness. Let's finish out uh, verse 27. So uh, true, um, let's go a little slow. So uh, the religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So uh, we view anything that pulls us away from God that that, uh, is a set of values or means or purposes or identity that comes to us apart from God as contrary to him, and we seek to avoid those things. And and so it's that question of, are we finding those in God? Are we finding our purpose, our values, our identity in him, or are we finding them anyplace else? Do we see things like, love your neighbor? That's a good one. I'm going to hold on to that one. But deny yourself. No, I'm not going to do that one. How we view money, 
how we treat our enemies. Do we do those things or are we finding ourselves one foot in of what God says and one foot out? Do we find value in some place other than what God says? And this is the warning in James. It refers to us as finding these purposes, these values, these identities apart from God as a stain, as a pollutant, as a contaminant. It's like those Dawn commercials where they go after oil spills and they clean up baby ducks who are soaked in oil. Uh, James is saying that if we are one foot in, one foot out, if we're finding our purpose, our way, anywhere apart from God, well, then we're just oil-soaked baby ducks. And that's a dangerous place to be. It's a deadly place to be. So where are we finding our purpose, our value, and our identity apart from him? I mean, you just read through James, and he's been talked about this throughout. He talks about wisdom, that godly wisdom looks like foolishness to the world, that it says to deny yourself when that's so contrary to, well, how do you get a job if you're building up others rather than yourself? How do you get the raise that you're trying to get if you're making others look better than you are? It just seems so foolish in our society. With how we deal with money, is it just accumulating more? Is it how we can care for others? Is it uh, how we view trials? Is it finding joy in the midst of them? Because I got to tell you, most of my instincts say, let's get out of here as fast as possible. Are we finding our value, our purpose, our identity, our means in God, or are we finding it in the world around us? in our initial, instinctual, fallen reaction to things. James gives us this warning that those who are finding a way apart from God, who are doing things away from him, well, they're stained, they're contaminated, they're polluted. And he says that those who look the part, those who seem like they're doing everything well, those who seem like they're doers of the word, and yet they're one foot in, one foot out, they're really just holding on to a mindset and value system apart from him, well, they might not be who they think they are. They might be deceived. They might not truly be a doer of the word. Now, I, I get it. There's been a lot over these last two weeks, a lot of things that we've been called to do as people following after God. Uh, so let me get this straight. So I'm supposed to uh, obey every commandment in the text of Scripture at all times, unwaveringly, uh, while making sure that I only say good things with my words, never saying the wrong thing, even on accident, and that uh, I'm, I'm uh, helping orphans and widows and single moms and refugees, and if I don't know anyone like that, I need to go and seek them out and, and get to know them, uh, all the while uh, following God's way exclusively, being perfect like He is perfect, holy at all times. It's pretty easy, right? We could do that. This is where I constantly want to keep reminding us of the grace that's given here. What is that progression? We are saved by the word. This is who God calls us to be. He calls us first fruits. We are in his family, invited in. That does not change. But as we continue to know him, as we continue to see who he is and what he's done, we become more and more like him. We are shaped by him. And as we do that, as we grow deeper in affection towards him for the affection he has shown us, as we grow in understanding of who he is, as he revealed himself as people who were once far off, as we see that there is a desire, a change that we take place in, not to earn his affection, but because we are so near him, 
because we have seen what he's done, we live for him and him alone. And all of this passage, it is the reminder, it is grace that has got us to this part. It is grace that's going to be sustaining us here. It isn't a list of things. Make sure you're checking these off. But it's the reminder of this is who our good and perfect God is. And as we see more of him, we start to see more of him in our lives as well. James is specifically writing to a group of people who think that they're religious, who think they've got it down pat, who can point to, look at all that I'm doing right. And if it ever gets to a mindset of, look at what I'm, all I'm doing right, well, look at all that you would have to do right in order to earn God's affection. We'll fall short of that every single time. It's that balance of we hear from the word. That's what got us to this point that's what's showing us the way that God has for us. That's what's showing uh, how he is working in our lives every step of the way. If we ever think that we earned this spot, we will have to earn it and we'll fall short of that. But it's the reminder as well as the grace that's been given to us here. But if we think that we can just live on that grace alone, God has saved me, my life can look whatever it wants to now. Well, that's that chef, that snowboarder, that runner who isn't actually doing those things that might show that we aren't actually connected to the God that we are claiming we are to. The reminder throughout this is we are called to be both hearers and doers of the word. That we do a series like this. We circle words. We put it all big up there. We try to figure out how to do iPad stuff that's confusing and distracting to me in the hopes that it helps us fall more in love with God's word, that we can see how it shapes us. And yet every time you come in this room, you walk past a wall that, that reminds us that we're called to be externally focused. There's a lot that we are called to do that we cannot do while we're gathering here. So we come together, we learn, we, we uh, see more of who God is, and yet if this is just a time for us to get more and more information that goes nowhere, we're missing it. And yet, if we are not hearing from God's word to see what it is that we're supposed to do, well, we're missing it as well. We are, want to be strong in Bible and strong in grace. We, we don't want to miss uh, on hearing from the word, which stops short of us giving aid and care for others, but we don't want to forget the moral purity that God calls us to in our attempts to seek and save the lost. So as we end, it's just that question for us to look inside of ourselves. Where do we err? If left on our own, do we see ourselves as one who is more of a hearer or more of a doer? And then how can we intentionally seek opportunities to add the other in as well? If hearing is a struggle for us, if there is a lack of desire or, or uh, time spent on studying and hearing from God's word, well, I uh, encourage you to, to find a friend, go through a Bible reading plan together. Hop in one of our groups, or we have Bible studies for men and women. We have life groups going on. Uh, talk to me or someone on staff or a friend for recommendations. There's, there's tons of books, and if the word books terrifies you, there are uh, audio or visual teaching methods as well that help us in, in hearing God's word. But we need to be people who hear the word. If we are missing on the doing, if we've got the hearing down, we're in studies, we're doing all that, that's great. But if we're missing on actually doing what God's word says to do, I encourage you to hop in one of those ministries that I've talked about. 
men of action or uh, refugees, if that number appalled you, we are launching a, a fourth team as part of Micah 6-8 as well to, to come alongside refugees. Encourage you to, to hop into those. Uh, the Easter egg hunt that we have going on of, of passing on the gospel, that's, that's an opportunity to jump into that or a kids or a student ministry uh, that is going on and faithfully pointing kids to, to Jesus encourage you to go in one of those. Or be like Carrie, who saw a need that we weren't meeting and, and would love to hear about that. Where are we missing people? Where are we overlooking people in society and how can we care for them? We'd love to have that conversation. We are called to be both hearers and doers. As we are saved by the word and shaped by it, we do the word as well. And so it's the reminder to constantly be bringing uh, alignment with our words, our help, and our holiness with what it is that God says. We, as a church, as Christians, as Calvary, Thornton, as individuals, must be defined as people who hear the word and who do the word. Let me pray for us. Father, we are so grateful for this series that you have put us in grateful for chapter one of James and all that you have been teaching us throughout of the work that you are doing even in the most difficult of times, of your willingness to always provide what we are lacking so we can turn to you for wisdom, your teaching, your guidance of our lives, that we have seen who you are, we have seen what you have done, and you are bringing our lives in alignment with your purposes and character. Let us continue to seek out opportunities in which we can do what it is that you've called us to. Be careful with what we say, to care for those that are being overlooked, to follow your ways rather than ours, not to earn affection, but in light of your affection, not to force you to love us, but because you have so overwhelmingly loved us. And not so that we can try to have some sort of perfect life because we will always fall short of that. But you have given us grace to save us and you have continual grace to sustain us. Let us each day turn to you looking more and more like you because of the work that you're doing, because of us deciding, uh, because of us following after you rather than anything else, because your ways are better than anything else. So it's to you and you alone we pray. Amen.